So, welcome to the podcast. Yeah. yeah, hey, it's the Scene World Podcast. I'm me, he's over there. Um, hey, I, I don't have any news really this, this month. Um, this is mostly, we've got a lot of video to cover, I think. Oh, yes, so we definitely. Make this as short as we can. Yes, well, we should remind our people about the uh, competition that we have for C64.tv. Yes. So if you want to supply your uh, ancient childhood gaming history, you know, with pictures and so on, do it on C64.tv. Um, slash submit dash story and, what and there you can well people can win um original games from uh, cinema retro and pawn software from vanya utne okay so pretty good prizes yeah yeah totally yeah so definitely worth it mm -hmm. and the deadline is april 1st so april's fool's day 2018 and that's not foolish, guys. That's for for, for real. Very cool. Right. Um, so other news. Yes. Um, the shipping of the limited edition of uh, Street Fighter Two um, is delayed um, towards throughout December, probably end of December. I guess okay. they announced it on their homepage, unfortunately. So there is a delay. So that is why I don't have it yet. Um, right. Mm -hmm. Are you, you excited for Star Wars? Oh, definitely. I will definitely have a look at that. I mean, I my, my tickets already. Wow. That is how tickets look in the USA. When you Custom barcodes. When you get them online, yeah. I bought in advance. It's on Thursday. Thursday, I'm going there. I'm going to see it like, when okay. it comes out. True. Yep. I've read some spoilers because I can't not read spoilers, and I'm not too enthused. But every review I've said I've seen says it's awesome. So. Well, I like the other two movies that were before that, also, and. Um, I liked Rogue One, and a lot of people did not like that movie at all, and I thought it was awesome. Last year I was actually in that D-box seat where you would be, you know, shaked and have that 3D mm -hmm. um, experience like you were actually sitting in a fighter right, right. and getting hit and stuff. Hmm. So um, I did that on Christmas Eve. Uh, there are pretty much people on Christmas Eve in the cinema. You oh, would yeah, be surprised. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, too bad for people like in Saudi Arabia, Arabia that don't have cinemas. Well, well, I guess you can't have gotta, it all. Yeah, they have to rely on real life to entertain them. Well, I guess you have to buy the Blu-ray. And Morocco is actually, I learned this, uh, I learned is the same. So is? we are all spoiled, huh? What is the same? They don't have cinemas either. First, you know, first world problems, you know. Mm. We're complaining about what might happen in the new Star Wars, and some people just have to read the book. Or have to wait till it's released on Blu-ray, I guess. Or, or go out of the country to see it. Mm. 
So what are you doing on Christmas? I'm going out of the country. Mm -hmm. Going to a cinema. Go, yeah, go, uh, right. Yeah, I'm going abroad to see Star Wars. Ooh. Um, right. Well, Vanya, Vanya Utne um, announced that there will be a new game mm -hmm. in January, actually. Spaceman Sploth Planet of Doom that is was... getting a physical release. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say that game came out like, like two years ago. Yeah, but not on a physical release. Mm. And it's going to be released for the Commodore 64 on cartridge disc tape, Atari 2600 cartridge, yeah. and Philips Video Pack G70,000 uh, mm. okay. uh, cartridge. No, sorry. Uh, and on Philips Video Pack G7000 cartridge early next year. Okay, cool. Yes, and Protovision announced that Zem's Journey will be released um, before Christmas. And I will be able to use it because I, I have an NTSC system, but I also have Remix. Nice. Oh, okay. I got the CMD one, actually. Mm. That one uses less power. I think it's the same otherwise. You know, okay. base, basically, it's based on the same same hardware, but it doesn't require the heavy duty uh, power supply, which I've got anyway. So, yeah, yeah, it's 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 right. The CMD RAM expansion actually uses the same um, um, uh, parts like Commodore did. Mm -hmm. This is why they only had a limited run. Uh, you who thought that the super CPU and the RAM expansion from CMD would be someday rare stuff that would I know I know bring a thousand of uh, dollars mm -hmm. on eBay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know, I know. Even the uh, regular Commodore REUs they they go for a premium. They're over like over two hundred dollars for for the low one. You know, like the the, the two fifty six K. I don't yep. know. I don't know. It's it's crazy. There's some. Uh, you find some good stuff. I found this. Let me move some things out of the way. This is an Enhancer 2000 disk drive. Oh yes. Okay. I found this on eBay. A guy was. I don't think he had any idea what it was, because he had it listed as just a Chinan or a Kynan or however you spell how you pronounce that drive. Um, Five bucks. Oh, nice. And it works. It's really weird the 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 latching mechanism. It's like a Okay. Yeah, like like the early fifteen forty one had the same mechanism. No, the early fifteen forty one mechanism is horrible compared to this. That fifteen forty one yeah, exactly this you gotta, one. Yeah, you gotta push it in though. You can't. I know. I know. This, this yeah. one is is super complicated on the inside, but you push it down and it locks, and then you push it down again and it unlocks. Okay. It's a weird, weird drive. It doesn't like fast loaders. It doesn't work with every game because because it's not a 1541. What is it called again? Enhancer 2000. Enhancer 2000. Isn't that the same as the European Oceanic Drive? 
No, no, that's the um, accelerator. Ah, that was the accelerator. Mm -hmm. Okay. That, that is, one was that very is... compatible. This one is not so compatible. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, my dogs are barking. Oh god damn me. I just I just did a system restore and Windows booted up with within a minute. Mm -hmm. Now let's let's see if, if sound works. One sec. Just wanna know. Uh, wait a second. And if any of our listeners have eBay, you can purchase this fine ex Enhancer 2000 disk drive from my, my eBay store for $65. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, you, you really want that? Sell that? Seriously? Yeah, you know, here's the thing, right? I saw it online, and I was like, Oh, I always wanted to see. I always wanted to play with one of those when I was younger, right? So I okay. got it. I took it apart. I made sure everything worked and everything. And I played with it for a couple of days. I have no use for and it. Then why would you buy it in the first place? Because I always wanted one. And because the, it was like five bucks on eBay. So why wouldn't I? Hmm. I, I you know, it's, it's one of these things where, where at this point in my life, there's a lot of hardware that I kind of always wanted to see, always wanted to try out and stuff that I'd heard about but never actually got to use. And, it, and people sell the stuff on eBay for nothing. And it's like, okay, well, I'll take it and I'll play with it. I got no use for it. I'm not, I don't have like a, you know, like a display case or anything for this stuff here. So it's like, for me, I've got, I've got three drives over here set up. I don't need another one. You know, it's, I'm, I've got, I'm, I'm plenty set. But, or, or if I see one that's not working, you know, 1541, usually it's something simple I can fix. So I'll grab it and fix it and send it on and if it helps someone keep a, a system alive then I'm all for it but I guess they never made the European version of that drive I think they did yeah it, it uses the um, it, it uses it's an external power supply and it uses the same power supply as the 1541-2 and the 1581 but um, but, but isn't it isn't it time for NTSC stuff? No. It's a disk drive. It's it's the power supply is external, so so mm. as long as you have a European power supply for a fifteen forty one two, the rest of it doesn't matter. So how much do you it. how much do you want for it? I'm, I put it up for sixty five. Sixty five dollars. Mm -hmm. Ooh. I, I think that's reasonable. It's it's a fairly rare drive. Uh, it's it's and it's it's in great working shape. I mean, it works beautifully. But no, the problem is not the problem is not the price. The problem is what I have to pay on top of it for for, for um, VAT. Hmm. Because if you say sixty five, and you it also takes a bit of shipping, that I will probably pay like 50 euros on top of it or 30 or something yeah that's well, pretty there is, a, it, there is a a you people can you can make an offer you know it's, it's 65 or best offer <laughs> you know how many people accept best offers none i often you know i usually do if i okay. get if i you're, get an offer different. if i get an offer i will usually accept it i got an offer on this already 
it was like like 40 bucks or something the guy offered and, I, and i'm looking and, I, and there's five people watching the sale right now and i'm like no because someone's gonna someone will pay the 65 for it well then sell it to me <laughs> 65 bucks yeah uh, but again, you know, it's it's not it's not hugely compatible with the fifteen forty one. So if there's anything that uses a fast loader, it's not going to work. Mm. You know, and the most of the cartridges, you know, the Super Snapshot and Final Cartridge three, just it hates them. It won't do anything. Epic's fast load it will tolerate, but it's not fast. Okay, like it doesn't use the fast loader thing in it, and. Um, it, but it is fast out of the box. It's like forty percent faster than a fifteen forty one. But all, but you all you can do is just basic you know disk access. It's not like you, you know nothing really that uses fast loader is going to work with it. So the thing is, you don't want me to buy it. <laughs> I don't. Well, I don't care. But I mean, it's not really useful. I see. Yeah, exactly. It's not, mm. and that's and that's one of the things. Like, like I've got. I got a fifteen forty one two. I've got a seventy one, and I've got another uh, just a plain old white bread fifteen forty one that are, are hooked up and working. And for me, this thing doesn't serve a purpose other than the fact that I always wanted to play with one. And I have now played with one, and I can let it go to someone that wants it. But I'm also poor, and I need to buy a car. So if I can make a sixty dollar profit off of this, <laughs> Ooh. then I will. <laughs> Okay. My problem is customs and shipping. Yeah, that this, will make this thing super expensive for me. This 1541 that's below it is also on eBay for $55. Okay, well, I have enough I have enough of yes. those. And again, I I justify this price partially because of the fact that I have taken it apart. It had a bad it had a bad um 16 or a 6522. I fixed that. I cleaned it. I basically disassembled the whole thing, re-oiled everything because the spindle was, was you know, seizing up. Um, and, you know, put I, I put new chips in it. I heat sink the thing because that's a big issue with, with them is the heat retention. So it's like I, I will guarantee that drive will work. Whereas everybody cannot... else, they put them up for like 30 bucks and they're, and they're like, you know, the light turns on, but I, don't, I can't test it. You know, this hmm. thing... It works. I used it. I used it like for over 24 hours at a stretch. I had it working, and it, there's no issues with it. So I will guarantee to you that this will get there and will work, and it's not going to be a piece of junk. So I can justify charging a little bit extra based on the fact that I, I'll guarantee it. And if it and if it doesn't work for some reason, then I've got another one you can have. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's just. Maybe we, well, should, I would, we should. We probably shouldn't have any of this in the podcast itself. I know. We, I will. I will yeah, remove. That. I don't want to be like buy these drives. I know, like, like a used car salesman. But yeah, I, I already. I I sold one fifteen forty one, and I sold it for like sixty five dollars. This one is going for fifty five, just because. You know, about right. In this one, I, I was doing 65, which, for for the rarity of these drives, is actually pretty low. I think. Seriously? Yeah. Uh, plus, I'm not so sure about that. Plus, I sell it with, with the lovely, my lovely homemade test demo disc. <laughs> and, okay. and everyone gets gets a free copy of The Undead by RPG. 
Well, so. Okay, be damned. Yeah, I, I, I just. Actually, I actually found yeah. a dot matrix font so I can make it look like an old school label. Nice. Printed it with my inkjet because I'm a dork. I have a laser. Hmm. These discs, by the way, I got a bunch of these. These floppies, these suck. Well, I don't understand why? why it is that colored discs, if they have colors on them, they're always terrible, But in my experience. These are like, they're just, they're the kind of drive where you put them in the drive and it's like... I know, I know. Uh, the mini know, discs, for example, were mm -hmm. pretty terrible. Yeah, these did, things... did, do you do you have them in the USA? I think so. Yeah. Mini discs, mm. those were terrible. Yeah, and, and I'm doing like a speed test with these things, and if I'm using one of these these discs in the drive for the speed test, it slows it down so much because they don't want to spin. I know. These guys are freaking amazing. The Highland, these are my favorite discs so far. We don't have them in Europe. No. Nope. I think they're just 3M. But I love I, these discs. Are some of the nicest I have found. But the blue ones, blue ones suck ass. Be damned. Well, anyway, so let's let's finish this up. So, so, um. We're waiting right there to talk about the the American conventions with John. John. Oh wait, wait no, 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 He didn't want us to use his name, right? He didn't want to use his last name. Oh, okay, okay, with John. Yes, okay. So we we're waiting with with John, right, right over there to talk about the American conventions. So, let's do that. Yeah. Let's see. Everything, everything just updated on my machine. So, so, new Skype, new call recorder. Hopefully everything records okay and doesn't suck. Great. I was worried. I was messing with, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Pi Hole for the Raspberry Pi. It's like an ad black hole. No. So ad blocker that works on the network level, and I've been working to get that thing functional for the last 12 hours, and at one point, my router wouldn't come back up. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I might have to miss this, but thankfully, I pulled that out of the fire. Mm. But yeah. Anyway, don't know why I shared that, but oh. I did. Well, that's, that's, the, that's a disadvantage. If you know, if you, if you are into IT and that stuff, Mm -hmm. You tend to break your stuff more than people oh, who have no idea what they are doing and calling their son to fix it, you know, like me. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I introduced my mom into soft phones, you know, oh, God. the concept that the phone doesn't have to be a physical device. It can be an app on an iPhone, you know, wow. <laughs> doesn't have to be wired to the wall. No. <laughs> I still got her old uh, rotary. <laughs> yeah, well, that that doesn't work in Germany anymore. Now, now they switched all to VoIP. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah. And even the bank said, like, if you make a transaction, use our app. There's no more SMS. Mm. You, you oh. know, so. and that, that raises an interesting issue, too, because, uh, you know, I got this modem, you know, and, I, and before I ripped it apart, I was like, you know, let me plug it in and hear that noise again. And uh, I thought, you know, I wonder if you can actually call boards. And I started looking it up, and you can't anymore because even if they are hooked up still, the VoIP lines can't handle the frequencies that the modem it's compressed they, they compress the uh yeah, sound it's the compressing thing. signals yep yep so yep, the modem yep. Won't work over it yep yep I, that's true that's kind of surprising and a little disappointing no no it's it not is. surprising it's not surprising it's actually also the reason why fax doesn't work anymore yeah. over VoIP. yeah yeah no except you have like VoIP fax over mm. internet protocol well, I think Which fax is also too. called T T dot eighty three. Yeah, I think fax uh, operates thir- at a slow enough rate where I don't think I think it can kind of make up for it a little bit. Mm. But but apparently modems are you know they they just they can't handle the compression and they just won't work. Because I was like maybe I'll get one of those you know those those um whatever they got the USB phone line thing I, I can't think of what it's called Magic Jack or some nonsense. Right. One of them because I don't have an actual physical phone line in this house. But, uh, so it wouldn't even support the lower baud rates, like three hundred, twelve hundred, nothing, no, huh? Nothing. No, it's a, also a difference between digital and analog signals. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the the digital signals cut off the analog signals. Okay. No. Hmm. You know, um, the analog signals are like a wave. And the digital signals are like, yeah. So the edges of the signals are cut off. Yeah. Oh. So it's not only the compression; it's also the way the signals are transformed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it is. It is disappointing because, because I, I thought maybe, oh man, I can play with this for a little bit and see what if I can connect connect to things. And it's like, no, you can't. None of that it's is kind of one of those you can't go home again kind of things, you know. Yeah. You yeah. know, I'm, I might not be calling BBSs anymore, but at least I like the idea of the possibility and my possibilities over. I, I spent an incredible amount of time on BBSs back in the '80s, like a lot, a lot. I know. I I I've read your article in the last scene wrote. Yeah. Yeah. You should get a Wi-Fi modem. I, I didn't back up. What's that? You should get a Wi-Fi modem. Come back onto him. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I've got an Apple II GS that I'd like to get online, and I've got um, my uh, SX64 that I'd like to get online too. But well, Nick <sighs> makes uh, the 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 StrikeLink Wi-Fi modem, and it's like twenty bucks, and it's amazing. No kidding for yeah. the 64. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> stuff for the older, my other stuff is expensive and limited quantities, yeah. and expensive <laughs> well well nick is doing a lot of stuff all right so we're here we're talking to me we're talking to john about the american and i see you there too yeah <laughs> well, but, but he doesn't count because he's not american oh, oh, no. No. <laughs> he, his 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 gamescom experience was last episode <laughs> all right this will be focusing on the two the two good ones here uh in the u.s that happened which was eccc and yep. a video game con, which I went to, which I think was the same day. Right. 
Yeah, the ECCC, um, back when it first started going to it, man, I think it was like 10 years ago, um, was primarily for the Commodore 64. And they let VCF, which is the Vintage Computer Festival, kind of tag along. Um, the ECC had the main room and the VCF kind of had this smaller room and, you know, they brought in some interesting things. Like, uh, I saw an Apple one board, you know, an original soldered by Steve Wozniak, Apple one board. Um, they often had things like the IBM PC junior up, but you know, nothing really mind blowing all the really cool things were happening in the ECCC room. But as the years have gone by, um, VCF is really taken off and you'd be hard pressed to distinguish between the vcf and the eccc now it's just one big room and a couple of satellite rooms where people set up uh, stuff for sale and that kind of thing um but i didn't you know off in the corner were the style guys like uh, elwix and demonger x and a few of the other guys that uh, i talked with and uh interviewed Demonger X. I don't know if you've seen the video that I sent you yes. in its entirety, but uh, yeah, I interviewed him. Um, he does work with preservation kind of like I do. And we kind of swap notes and, and talk about what we've been doing. He gave me a giant box of discs that I'm still working through from last year, pre preserving them. But um, <clears throat> other than that, uh, the major kind of the bell of the ball was for the Commodore 64 this year. And that was the, um, the uh, VR64 device, mm -hmm. and uh, people were really amazed with it. And it it is pretty impressive, all things considered. Yeah. Um, I, I actually have an interview for with him as well. Wow. Um, have you have you seen have you seen the videos that I sent yes. you? So yep. okay, yeah. And he really goes into detail. Um, he fielded some of my more stupid questions, which I appreciate. <laughs> but uh, yeah. No. Oh, okay. No. So are you enjoying the game? Yeah. Are you a Commodore enthusiast or are you just here to kind of see what Commodore oh, yeah. has to offer? Yeah, no, I've had Commodore since I was like 11, 12. And as far as the games for the Commodore goes, is this something new, something interesting? Yeah, I don't remember anyone like this. Yeah. Sorry, I totally blew your game. Yeah. No, I... <laughs> you almost beat your son. <laughs> oh, yeah, six. A third of my other bad score. <laughs> so, you played? Yep, yep. I'm Do you mind? I'm can I video you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, tell me what you thought about the game. Uh, I really like it. I love the idea of taking something that's more modern, like the idea of the VR goggles and bringing it back. And, it's such a cool perspective, and the game itself is fun and more complex than it seems. Different ammo types. So, Did he say that you one of these scores are yours? Yep, I'm Skylar Cannon. Okay, are you leaders. number one or number? Oh, you are number one. <laughs> and uh, they're running a competition. If you walk out of here with the first, with a high score, you get one of these for free. Yep, yep. If you, uh, I think it's tomorrow. They're going to announce if you have the high score, then you get to bring one of these home. <laughs> All right, I'm rooting for you, man. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm with Scene World magazine, and yeah, I told my editor that I'd get a lot of video. I saw the reveal, and I'm pretty pretty geeked about it, and yeah, I want to talk to him cool. about it. <laughs> Did you go to the? Uh, you didn't go to the presentation, though. No, I didn't make uh, it in time. Oh yeah, yeah, I had I was... it early in the morning so my daughter could be there. Oh, okay. 
I didn't get in until about 3, okay. so I totally missed it. That's fine. I got a blog up now, and it okay. kind of goes over the same things I went over. Alright. Yeah, I've been taking, taking uh, video of people playing, so... I just want to talk a little bit about why it exists, actually. Okay. So why did uh, what came what what made you think about a VR game for the Commodore 64, and why do you think the, the uh, palette would be appropriate for it? Um, so you know, this is like I've done a project before, like a touchscreen interface for the Commodore 64. Yes. So I guess I, I kind of am in this vein of what could we also do with these computers that is kind of analogous to what people are doing today, but is would still work with this old technology. Right. And so. Um, when my daughter was thinking of a science fair project, I kind of pushed her in the direction of doing the VR goggles. Right. And we kept it to like Google Cardboard and we were able to create a static 3D image and a 3D video and create our own Google Cardboard. Uh, you know, viewers and stuff, but the whole time I'm thinking, I want to do this for the Commodore 64. Right. And so, you know, when we got done with her science fair and stuff, that's when I started, like, buying little LCDs and seeing if they would work. And, you know, in the beginning I thought I would build my own whole goggles out of, uh, you know, wood or something, but then I found these, they're like $10 online with, the, you know, where you're supposed to put a phone in them. Right. So I basically bought a five inch LCD wide format uh, that has composite input and I'm putting it in there instead of the phone and gluing it in there. So now it's a dedicated VR goggles for this, for really a composite out computer. But right. Of course, branded them for the 64. So. The one thing that really struck me was that this is possible on the Commodore 64 palette. Um, you have a 16, 16 color limitation, so how did you overcome that, or wasn't that even an issue? So the color limitation wasn't an issue, and I didn't even stretch it very far. It almost looks like a Spectrum game or something, because it's very solid, bold colors. Right. Um, you know, what probably is more uh, impactful is the fact that I split the screen in the middle, the middle two columns are uh, unused, so now I only have a 19 wide uh, column of video on each side, or uh -huh. of imagery on each side, so it's like 152 pixels across in high-res mode and like 75 or something like that in uh, multicolor mode. Okay. So it's like not a lot of pixels per section of the screen that your eye is looking at. And uh, that was one reason I wanted the widescreen uh, format on the LCD that goes in the headset so that it would stretch it out a little bit further. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if you think about what you're doing with the game and you and you configure it correctly, that is enough pixels to make a game and, and to make something fun. Yeah. And I mean, think about Vic 20 or something like that. There's fun games for that too. Mm -hmm. and it has a lot less pixels. So tell me a little bit about the software. How long did it take for you to develop it? So this is only the second machine language program I've ever made. So uh, a year ago I didn't know how to do machine language. So I uh, had some flights for work, overseas flights, and I like read uh, Jim Butterfield's book online. I didn't have the physical book, I downloaded it. And uh, so I started learning how to do uh, machine language programming. And so I did another game probably through the May time period, and I never even released it, but it was like 
much simpler game is just to get my legs under me. And then probably in June or into May, in June, I was like, oh my gosh, that conference is going to be on me at any moment. i got to get working on this game. And so I just dove headfirst into this game. And uh, so I've been working on it probably since then until now. Um, yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about the game? I mean, what's the objective? It's, uh, it looks like a zombie hunt of some sort? So it's, the name of the game is Street Defender. Okay. And so you are a, you know, it's, it's the setting is in the uh, future, 1986. Uh, and uh, it's a post-apocalyptic type scenario. And Earth is being invaded by ninjas, aliens, and robots. And there's a whole story there about why uh, they're invading. And so you have, for as weapons, you can punch, throw knives, uh, shoot a bullet, or throw a grenade. And so then there's a different enemies and the different weapons have different uh, strengths against each other. So if you want to get good at the game, you got to think about what enemy is attacking you and what you want to fight them with. And so there's four, four cardinal directions you can look, and they're different streets in the city. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the, the diagonal views between it, so there's eight views along. Um, so it's kind of like a first-person shooter view scenario. Um, you can't move, though, so you can only rotate. Um, and then, so in the beginning, all the enemies attack from one direction, but quickly they start attacking from all four directions. And you only get power-ups. If, if an enemy is flashing yellow, that means he has a power-up, but you can only uh, capture that power-up if you kill him when he's close to you. So it puts you in this predicament of trying to wait for this enemy to get close to you so you can kill him, but well, at the same time, somebody might be attacking from the sides or from behind. So you got to kind of continually look around and try to make sure you're okay to wait for this guy to kill him so you can get the power-up. And uh, the power-ups can give you more knives, more bullets, more grenades, or more health. And of course, uh, health goes to zero, the game's over, and uh, it's just based on the number of kills you get. So what kind of feedback are you getting? I mean, this, is a, this has been a very popular attraction throughout the... Uh, throughout the entire festival so what have been what are the feedback I, I, people really like it and it, you know it's a it's not a complex game it's one scenario that just goes on and on but uh, I've got two guys two people here have been fighting all day for the high score and I got a contest going on whoever gets a high score today wins one of the VR sets uh -huh. and so they've been uh, leapfrogging each other all day and I got a little black and white monitor over here run by a big 20 under the table that's keeping the high score list and uh, so I think before the conference uh, my high score was 117 and uh, they're up to 331 so they totally passed me <laughs> like, and uh, I was actually pretty uh, pretty happy that the score rolled over 255 and the game didn't crash yeah. because I'd never tested that before. <laughs> so it's, it's all working out great. Excellent. So are you planning any more games for this VR headset? I don't know. I haven't looked that far ahead. I mean, now that I have a platform, I'm sure I'll do some more things with okay. it, right? Um, I put a blog up there so people can go up and make their own if they want. Um, it's only three parts that I put together, a cheap plastic headset, a LCD, and a power supply. Uh -huh. um, but it would be fun for 
you know, me to make some more games. It'd be fun for other people to make games. Somebody to make the first 3D demo for the Commodore 64. Um, so yeah, it'd be, it'd be fun to see more things come out for this. Yeah. And I, I, went, I went with like, you know, calling it the VR 64 and, and branding it and stuff like that just to have fun with it. The headsets look absolutely phenomenal. I've been getting shots of them all day long. Good. And uh, I've been watching people play and I've got some good footage of them playing the game. And uh, I think that you created something that's really amazing. I mean, uh, we've, been, we've been seeing a lot of interesting things come off for the Commodore 64 for a long, long time. I mean, the last 15 years, somebody has been creating something new and envelope pushing. And I think this is definitely within that realm. All right, you have anything else to add? Well, I th yeah, it's just been a fun project. I've learned so much doing it, and it's just, it's great that uh, I was setting up and I was putting up three machines. I'm like, maybe I'm doing overkill on this. And it's just been great to see all these people playing it and uh, having fun with it all day. All right, well, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. It was a really impressive thing. I talked to people that were using it, and they were really amazed that a computer that was released in 1982 could actually produce this kind of gaming software so and it did it pretty yeah. well too i was looking at a youtube video where they were demonstrating it and and if you if you sit there and kind of cross your eyes a little bit you can you can get the same effect and it and it, and it actually like it looks good you know even from i can only imagine what it would look like in the with the goggles on but i mean just looking at my screen real close with my eyes crossed it looked good right he uh he admitted that the software was just kind of a proof of concept kind of thing you know he wanted a game um, and he wanted to show off the abilities of the game, but he said that uh, the possibilities for this for this device is um, well. There's a lot of possibilities for him. I don't want to say endless, cause, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it was a it was a neat little thing. Oh, I'm trying to think of what else I could I could talk about. Um, a lot of vendors. I talked with a lot of people. Um, I think I found out who stole my uh, SS SX64 accessory case. Ooh. That was impressive. Oh, I know. <laughs> Yeah, last year I brought a bunch of stuff. What I do, um, what I really enjoy doing is uh, buying old equipment and, you know, piecemealing it back together so I get a functional unit. Sometimes I'll buy new chips for them, but unless I'm cheap or broke or whatever, I won't. Um, but I'll bring the repaired machines into the into the ECCC slash VCF and sell them. And last year I brought in one of those accessory bags that came with the SX64 and I was looking you know for like three or four bucks mm -hmm. and uh, for the most part you know one of the great things about these conventions is people are often very friendly and they're very honest and uh, you know it's it reminds me of being 15 16 year old and you know everybody's so wide-eyed and interested in everything it was really really cool I always loved the culture but last year somebody stole my accessory bag from my SX64 off my table and uh, yeah I was pretty upset over that loss of four or five dollars, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I, I think I found out who did it, mm. but I wasn't about the level of accusation. But I don't know closure. <laughs> I, <guess. Wow>. okay. <laughs> wow. I can be petty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, other than that, uh, I'm trying to. I mean, an Atari. There's an Atari section. Uh, SCAT, they call themselves the, oh man, I can't even remember what it stands for. I, but they gave away fruit pens, and that was oh, kind of nice. Okay. Um, a lot of, some guys wheel in these old school 
mainframes, like the stuff that you'd see in a 1970s warehouse style from, you know, controlled data or one of those yeah. old data service centers. Um, pretty much every computer you can think of was represented there from the Atari line to the Commodore line through the Amiga to PC. Um, a lot of luggables, a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff like that. Um, a lot of stuff for sale, but, um, yeah, that was pretty much it. And of course, a lot of good conversation and a lot of, uh, a lot of things to see and do. Even my younger kids enjoy going there with me every year. So, so yeah. Yeah, it's one so of they got fraternized. Yeah, it's, it's one I'm of those sorry? things where I keep saying, like, I got to get to it, and I got to, I got to go there one year, and I never, never actually get around to it. You're in the East Coast, right? Yeah. Massachusetts. No, that New Jersey. Area? New Jersey, Maryland, New Jersey. That area. Okay. okay. Yeah, it's not too terrible of a drive. How long of a drive is it to the, to Chicago? Probably about ten 12, hours, nine hours, ten, twelve hours, something like that. Okay. Yeah. It's it's the room they give discounts for. Uh, for uh, people going to this festival, so you can probably get there, stay cheap, drink lots of beer with us, go home. Yeah, <laughs> see some I, really cool things. I did make it to VCF East uh, earlier in the year. I think that was in March or April or something, which was that was cool. It, it was there was a huge Commodore section. There was lots of other stuff, but really, like the the main the main draw was this big wall of Commodore. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It so was, just old machines, or yeah, I mean they had they had pretty much one of everything that they had made, including the the C sixty five. No uh, kidding. Yeah, the the Anthony Becker from uh, the Guru Meditation. He has a C sixty five and he had it set up. So it was. The, Did he have any? So was he running any software on it? No, it, just... it was just kind of sitting there. He just had it turned on. I think that they 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 discovered that it didn't have enough memory to do stuff. Okay. I guess, I guess it was still a prototype unit, you know, so they, this one didn't have the full amount of memory. Okay. Yeah, yes, the C65 um, was, like I said, not really sold, but was yeah. given away in different states. Mm -hmm. Some didn't have the WIC, some didn't have enough memory. Yeah. So just proof of concept? Yeah. That kind of, yeah. All right. So. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing one of those someday. Yeah. Just I, never seen one. I, I, but my I missing have, RAM shouldn't I may be have a problem. It. <laughs> wow! So you weren't supposed to, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> Anthony, we touched your C sixty five. I waited till they were occupied with Bill Hurd, and then I was like, uh. <laughs> <Touch>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But they had they had the whole wall of sixty fours and and other Commodore stuff. Then they had the wall of Amiga, and that's pretty much where everyone was going. The rest of the they had lots of other stuff, you know, older machines and vintage things. But I'd say most ninety percent of the attention was on that Commodore wall. I'm kind of wishing that that would happen back in in Chicago again. But uh, VCF has really got their I don't want to say hooks into it. I think I think they contribute a lot. I mean. Mm -hmm. The majority of the stuff there is theirs, and I think um, a lot of computer history and really cool things are there. But I kind of miss the Commodore-centric uh, festival yeah. that it used to. 
Um, they moved into a larger venue over the last couple of years, and even this one is getting crowded. Um, I asked if I could have table space for the stuff I wanted to bring in and sell. They said there's no room. You can maybe share a table with somebody, but I wasn't going to lug stuff a couple hundred miles to maybe sell it or maybe or sell it out of the trunk of my car. But um, yeah, it. I mean, that's my only real complaint, but it's not much of a complaint. It's just, yeah, it's not my. My, not my 100% area of, of interest. It's just, you know. Yeah. It was something else I was going to bring up, something else that I saw, but I can't think of it at this time. Yeah, it'll come to me. Yeah. And, the, and the style guys, Elwix is still going to that? And, and... Yeah, I saw Elwix, I saw Demonger. Um, a lot of preservation going on. Um, Demonger was spent the, most of the time copying copying floppies yeah. um the box that i have i'm still slowly nibbling through but uh as i said mentioned in that scene world uh ripping disc ripping video that i did yeah. it's covered in mildew and ripping 10 discs takes probably an hour and a half or more just for yeah. 10 and uh i can never really justify sitting down and spending that kind of time for such small progress and i know that sounds kind of crappy but well, um no, it's, uh... Especially if it's, it's not it's, your stuff, you know. If it's yeah, yeah. If it's something it's that for your youth, then it's like, yeah, I'll spend the time because I want to see what I did. But it's, it's somebody else's discs. It's. You know. But still, the e-card application really enjoyed it. E-card. Yeah, in your demo video where you showed. Oh yeah. How to how to clean, you know, and. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it's a wonderful PLC piece of software. Um, yep. You can download it from the CSDB. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, you can't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have a link on that video, though, right? We've got, yeah. We've got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got it on the Scene World web space for download, yeah. <laughs> okay. Is that the Raw Rip or is that the um, Bukuro Force release? Um, I think the Raw Rip. Okay. Mistaken. What they, somebody cracked the card maker, the e-card maker. Yep, I sent it to Hukudo Forest. They they crunched it, packed it, put their title on it, and uh, I'm probably the only one with a copy. Yeah, that's the problem with the 64 scene. It's just like a giant, a giant dysfunctional family. Yeah. That is that is why it was important for me that we are host on scene.org, and our web space is connected to scene world. And not to not to me as a person. Right. So if I run crazy, if I run crazy, someday, <laughs> all the stuff you guys did is secure. Whoo! <laughs> <laughs> that kind of happens a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Somebody, yeah. somebody drops a nuke. Yeah. Like uh, back when Wanderer was around, he oh, vandalized all the entries <laughs> when he was on his way out. Yeah. It'll have to be through Tamanthes though. My uh, SX64 is, I can't, my eyes aren't as good as they used to be, and I can't squint at that monitor <laughs> very long. <laughs> so, all right, yeah, I'll give it a shot. I but also wanted can, to. You can connect a monitor to the SX64. I know, but I don't have one. <laughs> all mine are VGA or, or something along those lines, or, or um, proprietary for the IBM Oh, PC. Uh, there is a solution to that. Let oh, me show yeah. you. Of course, it's a solution to that. <laughs> they it are. Work, it doesn't are. work that well, though. 
Yeah, I got. There are there are breakout adapters for the C64 from Hungary, from Amibay. Yeah. No kidding. Yep, yep. So you have the connector on the C64 on one side, and the connectors for everything else on the other side. Oh, but not VGA so, though. You've got S video and. and yeah, S video, uh, audio, composite. Yep. Yes, yeah, so that's not that's not going to help with the VGA monitor. But it helps with an LCD that has S video or or GP that has S video. Yeah. Which is also the connection that the C64 Reloaded uses for LCD. Yeah. Uh, think how much did it cost? Like how much did it cost? Like uh, twenty-five euros or something? Not really that expensive. Well, you could also just get a use the regular uh, regular C64 cable and just get the S Video adapter. No, I didn't even know that, that existed. That's, yeah. that's also a possibility, yes. Yeah, because it's just uh, the the 64 outputs. That That's that's what S-Video is. It's just a Luma Chroma. Okay. Oh, didn't even know that there is an adapter. You see? Oh, yeah. hmm. Okay. Anyway, we got drifted off. We were <laughs> originally like talking usual. about a vintage computer festival. Hmm. It's actually one of the few festivals that drifted over to Europe, too. What did it? Yeah, it's a computer festival. Europe is in Munich. Oh. Okay. I know they had one in, in uh, England for a while, but they don't do that anymore. But uh, they have one in Germany, huh? Are you going to go? No, nah, Munich is very, very too far for me. Nah. Public it, transport. You know, your entire country is about as big as my state. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I know. Last time I checked, Munich is in Germany. Yeah, but still, it costs me about about um, two hundred fifty euros to get there. Yeah. Good grief. Okay. Because because both our planes and our trains are pretty expensive. Okay. This is Germany. Um, it's not. It's not a cheap country. Hmm. It's not like in Peru where you can drive hours for two euros by bus. Mm -hmm. um, so, hmm. but but I know uh, Rainer Grapol from the. Um, Great. Uh, Great. Yeah, yeah. He's actually he he actually went to this this year and hopefully he will go again next year. Hmm. Maybe I can get a report for him for Seinwald. Yeah. 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 Well, I went. All right. So, we're here with a member of Style, so what's your alias? Demonger X. Alright, and... Originally Demonger, but then I couldn't update my uh, 
username on CSDB, I had to add the X so that I could get it updated. <laughs> so it's kind of the way it works sometimes. It's a little slow moving sometimes to get that stuff worked out. So. And if uh, if you were most known for something in the Commodore 64 scene, what would it be? Archiving. Archiving. Yep. Yeah, you've been doing that all day, haven't you? Well, not very much. I didn't really have that much to archive this year, but I didn't. I did not come from home, so normally I would bring a few hundred discs with me, and six has been the source for discs lately, uh -huh. archives, and he had 1.12 server cases full of discs of the archives, oh, crap. and I've been working through some of those, as well as other things I've gotten myself and from other people of the year, so, right. um, but, but yeah, that's a member of style, but that was kind of a, I was kind of a fanboy from style for quite a while and you know always on BBS's I was on BBS I don't know BBS scene and kind of a lurker in that respect went on to a lot of BBS's did a lot of mail trading stuff like that not a lot some and uh, was on a lot of the mainly demo BBS's the main thing I was most interested in so when did you get your, when were you first involved with the Commodore 64? Well, I had a friend that had a 64, and at the time I had a TI-994A. And uh, he had a 64, and we played games and whatnot, and I'm like, no, the TI is not cutting for me. So, actually, my first was a 128. So I got a 128 when it came out, and boxed 128, and waited almost another year for a drive. Had a tape drive for a while right. in, a, in America, right. of all things. But I ended up, my, I never owned a 1571 box. I ended up getting a four model from Kmart back when they sold those. So, <laughs> why, you, you mentioned that you're an archivist. Right. So what interested you in archiving all this stuff? I have a large collection of my own, and I'd already used, uh, before the Zoom floppy came out, I was using Star Commander um, to back up a lot of stuff just with a, with a X1541 cable. I bought one online. Not much of a wiring guy, so I bought one online and, and was hooking up that way and uh, used the parallel port on the on a computer. That's back when DOS this. was required, right? Mm -hmm. Used uh, Star Commander? Yeah, and actually Star Commander was a lot like the, the, the uh, Total Commander or some of these other things. It was just a kind of a, a screened copy and paste, um, you know, copy the whole thing into a D64 image. And I did my uh, part of my collection then, but I've always been a big software collector. You know, whenever there's a time to copy anybody else's disc, I would copy them. I used to, back in the back of a computer shop where I used to go to the ads and buy floppy disks by the thousand and uh, copy stuff to it. I was active in a, several different users groups over the years. Uh, in different states, and um, I always managed to suss out the people that had disc collections. So. I I kind of fancy myself a preservationist, but you're at a whole different level yeah. here. With me, the biggest uh, claim to fame for me is I don't mind the grind. I don't mind to sit there and, you know, with me, the way I tell people that want to archive this, oh, it's, I have too much to archive. I got, I don't know how to start. I'm like, you take a disc box, you put 50 discs in it, you work through 50 discs, then you pull those 50 and put another 50 in, and then 
a week later you wake up and you've done 200 discs, and then a month later you've done 500 discs, and then and so on and so forth. There's no magic to it, it's just grinding through it. Oh, it takes so much time. I'm like, I sit at the computer, I look at my phone, I watch a movie on my phone, listen to music, and it just does its business. You know, I'm used to doing the process, and uh, for quite a while, the last several years, I've been averaging about 5,000 floppies a, a year archiving, and wow. I've done that for probably six or seven years. One of the things that really interests me about preservation is the discovery of it. Right. I really like finding something that isn't out there yet, right. and I like the prospect of bringing it back. Right. So is that a little bit of what you what drives you as well? It is. Plus, I've had a lot of experience with a lot of different utilities I've used in the past that may be still stuck in somewhere in my collection or things that I'll bring up. Oh, yeah, have you heard of this program? No, I've never heard of that. You know, people would be later in the scene or have run on different channels. And so they're, oh, yeah, I have this program that does this and this collection of things that do that. And, you know, these one-off programs that people have never even conceived of, never heard of. And, you know, I'm... I guess the obscurity of some of it is part of it. That I I enjoy bringing something to light that may not they may not be aware of. You know, I've had a lot of experience with different software packages and especially a lot of utilities and games and stuff like that. But I I I, I, I always consider myself a collector of things more than a user of things. I mean, certain times of utilities I did, but. I collected games just like everybody does and played a few of them, but most of the time I just added it to the collection because I didn't already have it. And so this kind of been an, an offshoot of that aspect, just trying to back stuff up. But with me, I'm not an artist, I'm not a coder, I'm not uh, a music, I enjoy that stuff. And I've always collected demos and enjoyed that process, but the thing that I could contribute to the whole that no one else seemed to be doing actively was archiving. And so that's one of those things that stuck with them. Uh, guys coming here, they're coders and style members at the time before I, I was invited into the group. We were talking about, said, oh man, he said, you've got the most important job. All the other stuff, coders or artists and stuff, even though there's not a lot of, of them out there, said what you're doing, you're the only one doing it. And right now, there's a few of us around. But in the U.S. especially, uh, there's not very many that actively archive. You know, that when I see on Facebook that someone's talking about their collection, putting out there, hey, I, I'm in the U.S. and I can do that. There's a lot of guys in Europe that do it actively, and that's great. That's more power to them. But there's not that many guys in the U.S. that are actively, they do their own stuff, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And for me... It's the constant pursuit of finding the next thing, you know, not knowing what the disc hold, you know, and I work hard at archiving. I've gone through the disc drives to prove it, um, because with me, it's important to get the data. If the disc is crappy and moldy or whatever, I'll work and clean my drive multiple times to get a good read on it and then throw the disc away. Yeah. But, uh, success. So that's what you're after. <laughs> it is actually. I'm, I mean, you and I are kind of the same mind. Right. So if you could, if you could think of what the most interesting thing that you found oh. in your in your archiving. Well, I, I know of several things that uh, interesting uh, that people had never heard of until I, I turned them on to it. There was a program from Magic Disc back in the day that was a drive music 
piano. It has several different examples of drive music, which will fuck your drive up. <laughs> but, but it was something like what they'd only seen the drive music little demo that would do you know would play one song they would gotten from Q-Link. Well, this was a piano, if you will, that you could play notes on your drive, you know, spinning the drive head, um, and uh, had multiple songs in it. That was one interesting thing. The other interesting thing that I found is a group that was, uh, they were releasing compilations called the Colonel Collection. I only had one disc of the Colonel Collection I had downloaded back in the day from a BBS, and it must have been five or six different, but it was collections of ROM kernels that a group had put together, and it was like four or five different, like Dolphin Doss and Jiffy Doss, and back in the day, you know, copying that stuff, but just kind of a collection of that stuff that, you know, some of these groups that put out these big tool collections, I enjoyed all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Kind of obscure things, if you will. I enjoy, I mean, everyone's got a copy of Fast Happening or Maverick or things like that, but when you get to these one-off things that no one had ever seen before, or you, you never heard of, you know? Right. I ended up with originals of Serpent's Crown, you know? I never heard of that, you know? It's a game by EA, but it's an early game, yeah. and it's just one of those early off, you know, one-offs. So, I mean, I don't know how, how your experiences mirror mine, but have you ever seen anything on a disc? Maybe disc or track 18 is red, but when it's time to actually read the data from the disc, it fails. Like, like difficult? Yeah, or disappointing that you couldn't get it. Yeah, uh, there have been several. There have been some that I could pull a director track and then go in, it would not it would not pull the drive, and I could work and work and work and work. Finally get a good read on it. My baseline for stuff like that is if it pulls a director track, then I'll copy it. If it gives me fits, then I'll clean the drive bed and I'll try to copy it again. I'm trying to get as much of the data as possible. And and I use 1571 specifically because they will nib first and then create the D64 and G64 from that process. But it does it all at once. And the reason being, because I don't, it's, it would tend to be overkill, but I don't know who might need that data down the road. My job is not to not to view the data or know what to do with it. My job is to archive it. And that's how I, I view that process because it's more important for me being the one of the few people doing it to archive it and let the programmers or everybody else figure out what to do with it after the fact. Now, one drawback from that is I don't keep the disc. When I'm done with them, I usually, if they're decent discs, I sell them on eBay as blanks. Because the whole point for me is getting the, the data. Right. And at 5,000 discs a year, I can't keep everything. You know, you figure seven years of that, 5,000, that's 35,000 discs. Who can store that many floppies? You know, I've gone through a lot of collections and some people go, oh, I can't find this disc. And I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I do as much as I can do, but. You know, no one can keep all that. No one's got the available space to keep all that process. So one of the things that drove me personally early was um, when I ripped my original discs. I had about a thousand discs that I ripped back in the 90s. Um, and I started putting them online. I'd get messages from people thanking me for finding something that they'd programmed 10 or 15 years earlier. Um, you clearly... Well, you've tell me about when somebody 
did the same for you because clearly um, you recognize that hasn't us. happened as much with me but what happened with me is I was a collector I collected everything so I had a Commodore I had a CG collection a Commodore graphics collection that I put together and archived myself that were all captures of P files from BBS's or I would open CCGMS and capture the graphics and then cut them out and save them in separate files and I had ended up having eventually like 12 or 15 discs of CG which is unheard of. People have little bits and pieces of stuff. But I archived it. I had a SID collection. It had all the SID, stereo SID stuff. I, there was actually, from Q-Link, they had developed a SID uh, filing program that was sorted based on uh, music stereo words and animation files. It would actually archive it that way. And I kept a collection of that. Archived it. I did that. And my double-sided games and stuff like that. So people would thank me for that kind of stuff because, well, when I archived my SID collection, Peter Weggel, who does the uh, the uh, the the uh, SID uh, archive, not the stereo SID, not, I'm sorry, not the uh, high voltage SID collection, but the CGSC, I think it's uh, Com uh, Computes Gazette. Said collection is what it is in, in Europe. Um, he said when he got my archive, it bumped his archive up by 40% because I had a lot of stuff. Uh, I collected a lot of SIDs, and there were a couple big groups in, well, that I was familiar with um, that had SID competitions that would do a, a, a specific music, and five or six people on the BBS would all do the same rendition of it. But if there's one in the BBS in North Dakota, I contacted connected with the guy that had this collection of SIDS. And then there was, in Chicago here, actually, there was a BBS that I was on back in the day called the Music Emporium, and their thing was all about music, stereo SID music, regular SID music, and they would have competitions on a regular basis. So those are all things that um, people did not know existed because there were small niches and a lot of people that unless they were with Q-Link back in the day did not even know, you know, after Q-Link died they figured all the music died. Well, it didn't. I did have a few people uh, thank me for giving them copies back of their SIDs that they thought were long lost. A few guys that were big into that back in the day on Q-Link and other places didn't have access to them. So I had access to a lot of stuff that people didn't because I searched it out. Mm -hmm. I kept my ear to the ground and when I'd meet someone I'd talk about, yeah, I'm into this. Oh yeah, I got these discs that I got. You know, my husband served overseas and I, a couple times I ended up with military collections so they were people that had copied them uh, on military bases came back to the states and then I copied their collection <laughs> collect collections I guess you could say it's amazing well I don't have any more questions <laughs> I mean you're very I thorough blah, 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 blah. no I it's great <laughs> um, but yeah that's that's what I enjoy you know the when I say the they made up the title for me, Archiver, because I, I wanted to be part of style for a while. I've known the guys on BBSs and stuff and, and enjoyed a lot of activity level and stuff. And they they, uh, they finally got pulled me aside and said, you know, we want you to be a member of the group. And I said, well, draw or make character sets. I said, yeah, but you got a more important job than most of us have because we put that stuff together and we call that stuff, but you are finding the hidden treasures that exist out there already, people's collections, 
and as the discs go on, they're eventually going to die, and it's, you know you're kind of racing against time to try to do the best you can with what you have. Right. And so that's that's kind of what motivates me. I mean, I've, I've been coming to like these expos for the last well, this is my I think my 15th year. Come to different expos, and after a while, you get you know that's what you do. And I would set up my Zoom floppy and my drive, and I would copy stuff. And people, would, I, I usually use it as a tutorial because people would buy a Zoom floppy or some other archive and say, "Oh, I bought one of those last year, but I never had learned how to use it." So I would train people how to use it. Now mm -hmm. that doesn't mean they went out and archived their stuff like they should have, but at least I did as much as I could do for them. You, right. you can only guide them along the process if they're not motivated to do it no matter the amount of guiding you do they'll never you know, it'll never happen it'll never happen exactly but I'll go people along and I've I contacted I know another archive collection you know from VBS that the guy's got and I told him I haven't forgot about you I'm interested in getting it but I want to work through the backlog he said no worries they're in a safe place and he said let me know when you want them and I'll send them to you and you can archive them so I know there's other archives out there I have access to. It's just a matter of contacting the person and staying with it. All right. Awesome. So, I mean, there's always there's always more. Right. There's always there more out always there. There's always more. <clears throat> well, I mean, uh, I want to eventually be able to get to a point to archive my own stuff. I've got probably 15,000 discs of my own that I haven't archived yet. Seriously? Oh, yeah. Wow. So why are you prioritizing other discs? I don't know, because my stuff I've got in tubs, and they're fairly, I've always kept them in pretty good, you know, out of the, well, I can't say always out cold, but out of the moisture and out of that kind of stuff. So I think relatively, they're relatively um, safe. Right. Compared to a lot of the other stuff that has been in a barn, as you well know. Yes. You know, moldy or musty or moldy and musty. Right. Or, you know, um. And, uh, but I really have to do my own because I've got a complete tub with a divider that's under the bed storage tub full of games right. that I've downloaded off BBS's and a lot of them. Some of them from early internet stuff, but a lot of them are downloaded or copied from other people. So, yeah, I've got to do that. And utilities, I've got a huge utility collection. Right, right. Stuff like that, so. Well, but a lot of the guys in Europe, um, Masons, one specifically. Yes, Masons for Heaven. He loves every time I post stuff. I'll, I'll text him on the scene database because he said I, he said you you you've, I've found a bunch of cracks because his his big thing is to get every version of every crack ever done. Mm -hmm. And so he said a lot of your stuff, he said, I love getting your stuff because it's U.S. cracks that, that didn't make it over to Europe a lot of times. Right. And so he, you know, I let him know about that and he, he contacts me. And, and I would, you know, I would be interested in even joining the European team they got, the, the copy, the, the archive team they've got uh, off scene database. You know, a lot of, I know a lot of the guys I used to I was one of the archivers when, when Morpheus was doing C64.com. I would be the U.S. contact for different people. I archived four different individual archives of people's stuff. They would send them to me. I would archive them. I'd put them on a CD for them. It's in the back. So. Yeah, Mason contacted me when I first started dropping myself on the CSDB about right. good grief. It must have been like 12 years ago. 
And uh, yeah, he asked me for my entire collection. He is. There's no, there's no outlet. I mean, they don't have access to any of that, and there's not that many people that are archiving in the U.S. So you have to tap those resources the best you can because. Yeah, if you look at the prominent sceners uh, from the U.S., you have Eaglesoft, which is incredibly represented. Right. Then you have import groups, which are right. incredibly underrepresented. Right. Well, the Even import groups that import each other. Yeah. They import something, they add the import, and then someone add, imports it to Europe, and they add their import, and someone from the U.S. imports it again, so there's three layers of import. Right. You have to figure out who's who and where they came from. And then, see, that was, that was very big early on. Then later on, I was in the era about, you know, with NEC and NEA and ATC and INC and, you know, you know all, those, all those groups that, especially with me, I remember a lot of ATC stuff and a lot of uh, uh, NEA, NEI. Yeah, they were doing Northeast their, Importers. Uh, yeah, Northeast Importers, Northeast Crackers, um, you know, Touch of Class, ATC, yep. INC. International Network of Chaos and all that kind of stuff, you know, and those groups. So much. Some were import groups, some were crack groups, some were combination groups. Some were, and that was the day when it really started having heavily a lot of U.S. European combination groups. So right, a lot the co-ops. Back and forth. That way they were able to cover both the importing and the uh, cracking at the same time. You know, different group members. You know, USHQs, or there'd be two or three USHQs and a couple European HQs, and they transfer. You know, couriers back and forth to move things around. Yeah, you know, and some of the some of the parallels with that is there was a there was a web uh, series called The Scene. Have you ever seen that one? I haven't. It's a two seasons. It came out, oh gosh, five, six years ago. But it, it's all about the piracy scene, like movies and stuff. Okay. There's so many parallels in, in a lot of the running scene and, and demos and copying stuff. It's very similar to the same types of scene as the as 64 stuff. Was. Interesting. In I'm going to have to catch that. All right. Well, thank you for so much for talking to me about this. And talking and talking. No, believe me, believe me. I mean, <coughs> just like everything else, it's worth preserving, right? All right. Thanks. No problem. So, I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm Brendan or Inverse Phase or I don't know. I have like a bunch of other nicknames. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, I was just uh, telling you. <laughs> or I was just talking to you about Demo Splash, and uh, I thought yeah. I'd get it on tape. So. So Tell me a it's a demo party. Right. Uh, if you've ever watched a demo, or I, I guess I should say, if you haven't watched a demo, um, you know it's it's kind of a computer music video, but it's more than that. There's no uh, there's no recorded video. It's all algorithmic and often fits on say a floppy or less. Um, so you're you're watching, you know, math, art, and sound. The music video. As you listen to uh, it, as it, you know, and everything synchronized. Have you never and, seen a, a demo? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. You're talking to a guy who was born, raised, and sucked on the teeth of a Commodore 64. So, so you've yeah. seen plenty. Uh, I've seen a couple. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you've probably seen a whole ton of crap tros. Yes. Is, you know, I, I may have even into the demo scene. Yeah. I might may have even written one or two, but so it's neither here nor there. But what is the what's the uh, is there are there any uh, limitations? 
graphics on this demo um, is a PC demo, okay? Amiga, Commodore, I mean, Atari? They will try to accommodate uh, whatever system you want to submit in. Um, and, uh, I mean, last year the, the demo submissions were kind of low. So we combined the modern and the retro categories together. Okay. Uh, but usually they're separated. So, you know, like if you're writing a modern you know, PC, GeForce, or whatever demo, um, that's usually going to get sectioned off from, you know, the CX Spectrum demo or something. Um, but, uh, but it's just, I mean, there, there's kind of a, a lack of demo parties in the U.S. And, uh, you know, at parties in Boston, and uh, there's Synchrony, which uh, gets on a train in New York, writes their demos, arrives in Montreal, uh, and shows them in Montreal, and that's kind of cool. Um, and there's a uh, there's one in California. Get the name. I'm sorry. And, uh, there was NVC uh, for a little while, and that kind of seems to sort of have died off a little bit. So, like Demo Splash is maybe the second longest running one, um, and uh, it's just a bunch of Carnegie Mellon students that are really into old computers and demos and wanted to do something cool. Um, and uh, I went actually last year as a musical guest. Uh, since I'm a chiptune guy, I kind of fit in, you know. Um, and uh, I just kind of fell in love with the event and really wanted to help them promote. So here's the flyers, you know, trying to get them out and get a pile of demo sceners to congregate somewhere in the U.S. So you mentioned the European scene. Are you familiar with the European demo scene? How does these, this event compare? Um, it feels... The, uh, so the one difference I've noticed is that uh, the, the U.S. demo scene or U.S. demo parties have less of a LAN feel than you know, like the like X or you know, Revision right. looks like just a giant ass LAN party. Right. Assembly used to look like a giant ass LAN party. Now it looks like I don't know. Commercialism took over a giant ass LAN party. Um, but I mean, they're they're all cool. Um, so demo splash. Um, you know, you're free to bring a computer and set it up or whatever, but uh, last year it was in something called Rashid Auditorium, which is a giant, like, auditorium-style lecture hall. Okay. Uh, so it's got those, like, fold-over desk things, uh, you know, and chairs and whatever, which are fine for a laptop, but maybe not everything. Uh, you don't probably want to bring your Commodore 64 to CRT and try to plump it down there. Um... But on the other hand, you know, they've, they've got all the hardware, so I mean, you know, if, uh, if you wrote something on any of those platforms, then you probably play it or, okay. you know, uh, set up to do it. The, uh, the ANSI competition was on fire. Uh, there, there were like two dozen ANSI submissions, which I guess is not a whole lot, but compared to, you know, like six to eight demos, you know, it's like two to three times as many ANSI arts. Uh, and everything that was submitted was, you know, like, fun and cool and, you know, that sort of a thing. Uh, I talked to the organizers of uh, Riverwash, uh, Faye and Arkazek. Um, they, they did that last weekend or whatever, and they got, I think, 45 demo submissions. Uh, that's, Seriously? That's pretty good. Yeah, very good. Uh, and it's like, uh, I mean, I guess it's now the biggest demo party in Poland. Uh, you know, it's not in Germany or Finland or, you know, like where, where Revision or Assembly or one of the big parties, I guess, is. But, but they had, uh, I think they had a good 200 people or uh, 150 or something like that. I might be talking out of my ass, I'm not sure. No, you're probably pretty close to right. Yeah. Poland's really up and coming in terms of the demo scene. Which is really neat. 
Yeah, you mentioned chip tune. So, what is your preferred <laughs> synth chip? Or I, uh, I like or, experimenting with different stuff. Okay. Uh, with me is uh, down here. I have a pokey. And uh, I've, I've built a universal synth controller board. Okay. So any PSG, any FM chip, whatever it is, as long as it takes five volts, it can go on here. And in the case of the SID, actually, uh, I even just have a volt converter set to 12 volts so that I can give it the, the second voltage. Nice. Um, but it is the same board. And here's like, there's one unpopulated. Um, oh, let me yeah. get that. Yeah, sorry, here. <laughs> um, very cool. So uh, I uh, I wanted you know I mean chip tunes are my career now, which is really weird to say, and it doesn't quite pay the bills, but I'm working on it. Uh, and uh, you know I wanna I wanna listen to weird nuances uh, of chips and like different revisions and whatever of which the SID is really great for, but just anything. So now I can build a board that uh, you know electri electrically controls every single chip the same. And plug them all in at once, and be like, send this command, send this command, you know, to like every single one. Uh, or if I wanted like a symphony of like a pile of different chips, I can do that. Um, if uh, if you're an Atari or a Commodore person and you hate the other platform, don't listen to this. Um, I want to do something blasphemous where I run the pokey into the SIDS line in. I would love to hear it. And use the SIDS filters to affect the pokey because the line in. Cool. Yeah, so like, uh, or uh, another good example is since all the pins are exposed and since it's modular, I can take uh, the oscillator from one chip, plug it into multiple chips so that I can get the rise of the waveform, all, you know, at the same time on all of the chips. Um, so then, you know, like if I detune a little bit, some people will do that and kind of creates a, if you detune normally, you get a chorusing effect, um, you know, kind of like a guitar chorusing pedal or whatever. Uh, but if you detune um, and and you enable hard sync, you get a completely different effect. It sounds like the same sound, but like broken somehow. Um, and uh, like uh, Trent Reznor does that in uh, Hand That Feeds with an ARP 2600. Um, and so I, I kind of actually want to do a Hand That, hand that Feeds cover um, and use like the Atari bass, like that, that classic gritty, nasty bass on the Atari for that like guitar in the beginning, right? Um, but then the SID actually supports hard sync internally, so I could do the same thing that he did with the ARP with the SID. So you know, like all the chips kind of have their own like uniqueness to them. And mm -hmm. I don't, I don't like to hate on one over the other. I mean, if you walk up to me and you're like, Brendan, would would you rather write music on a SID or an AY? I'd probably say I'd rather write SID music, but. Um, I, I still find, you know, like there are cool tricks that you can do on the AY that you can't do on the SID and, you know, whatever, so that's kind of fun. So, um, how, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? You look to be in your 20s. That's very nice of you to say, but I have gray hairs, uh, and they are plentiful. Uh, I don't see them, but... Nearing 40? Yeah. yeah. Just a little bit under 40. Uh, <laughs> so what, So when the SID came out, the Pokey came out, you were probably embryonic. A, a tiny kid. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so what interested you in doing SID music? Especially, you were probably growing up in the 90s. Well, and, yeah, I mean, uh, grew up in the 80s too. Yeah, so late like, 80s? I mean, this is, 
this is kind of the music of my childhood, right? Like, this this is my pop music. So now I want to write my own version of my pop music. You know, like, I'm in a pretty musical family, but I can't really play the instruments, and I don't have any music training. Like, I, I took, like, uh, you know, keyboard for dummies or whatever you want to call it. You know, like the Yamaha, Yamaha Keyboarding One or, you know, whatever when I was, like, four. Um, but I, I held on to a little bit of that, but I, I kind of became interested in programming, right? And so now it's like, well, I can program my music by writing it into Tracker. Why don't I do that? You know? Um, so, you know, I just kind of became interested in that and went down the spiral uh, of whatever that is. Um, it's all downhill from there. Uh, but I've been doing it since I was a kid, so I'm I'm intimately familiar with that at least. Right. Uh, enough that I can you know like, uh, well I suppose I could play you like some uh, I don't know are you are you Sid NES Atari? You know what? Play your best and I'll let the camera. <laughs> don't ask a musician that. Um, let's uh, let's play. Here, here is a track. This is uh, so my buddy is a game composer. Uh, Josh Welchel is his name, and he did um, a soundtrack for a, an Adult Swim game called uh, Oblitus or Oblitus. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, I mean, it's like a modern indie game, or whatever, but uh, kind of a lot of natural tones and it's just a little bit ambient in spots. And uh, he played me a work in progress version of it. Um, and I, uh, I kind of accidentally forward it, uh, and you know, turned it into a dance track. Okay. Um, so this is, uh, this is not playing out of this board, obviously. Uh, but I have emulators crammed up the rear end of my uh, my music software that is the software version of these boards. Okay. This is this is the new stuff. This is you know where I got my start or okay. something. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, we can, uh, hear. So is the music reflected on the LED? Uh, so the LEDs is, uh, we, we set up a, a DFT, which is discrete for transform. Uh, like your fancy car stereo has an FFT, you know, that just like, you know, what is 67 hertz? You know, I mean, you can sort of hum it, but, you know, it doesn't have any musical to specific notes, so I can be like, that is a C-sharp, and here is a bar telling me how much C-sharp there is, or how much G, or how much whatever note. Uh, so we separate that out, bell curve, to figure out the most important notes, and then draw a big dot for a loud note, and a small dot for a, you know, quiet note. Um, and of course it's, my, it's catching all the background noise that's going on, because it's through my mic. Oh, okay, um, so it's not so. a direct feed. Yeah. Um, Went to a video game con uh, in September, 
And it was... It was a video game con. <laughs> um, what kind of people did it attract? Lots of cosplay. Okay. Lots of... Uh, younger people that were into the, the, the older games. This It really wasn't... They didn't focus on retro stuff. It was... They had newer games. They had... Um, you know, tournaments for it. Last year, I, it's two days. Last year, I got there on the second day and kind of missed the fun stuff. This time, we made it there on Saturday and got there for the, the main thing. The The biggest disappointment was that they didn't allow filming in the vendor area. Which is really? Where, yeah, which is where 90% of the cool stuff happens because, you know, it's just row after row of people selling things. And that's where you're going to find the most interesting stuff. Um, mm. They had uh, the free play area, which was, um, you know, arcades set up that you could just play without having to actually put change in them. Right. Um, they had a console play area, again, where just sort of, you know, your, your Super Nintendo or your Sega Genesis in a cage hooked up to a TV that, you, that people can play. That right. was That was cool. Not... N- not a single Commodore thing. Really? Mm-hmm. Tisk tisk. Yeah, yeah. I looked all through there because I was I was actually figuring if there was anything Commodore related, I might actually get it because I was working on setting this thing back up and getting it up to spec. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not a single, not a single thing. And a lot of the stuff that they were selling was not even like interesting rare stuff. You know, it was like a rack full of you know Mario Brothers Duck Hunt. Oh, okay. You know, the stuff that every Nintendo came with. Right. I have one, too. Yeah. So, um, they had a, there was a, a tournament on a big All screen. All right. There, there was a tournament on a big screen, but it was, like, bright in the room. Like, all the lights were turned up, so you could barely see it was on the big screen. Oh. So, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, and the burlesque show, um, last year... Uh, we found out the first year they did it was um, it was pretty good. It, it was you know they dimmed the lights and Billy Mitchell was screaming, but they still had the burlesque <laughs> show. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get a picture in my mind's eye of this burlesque show while Billy Mitchell is screaming bloody murder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, because. Because what what happened was he was um, he was playing um, Donkey Kong. Oh, Donkey Kong. And and he beat the game for the four hundred and seventy fourth time, and he was making like this big show of like, hey, I'm about to beat this game. And so the the guy that was running the burlesque thing was actually, you know, hey guys, if you want to see a kill screen, that's over there. But you know, there's boobs. So, so nobody, so he's standing there and he's like, he's like yelling, like, pay attention to me while there's girls taking their clothes off and people are kind of trying to humor him. They're, you know, holding up their camera to take a picture, but they're looking over there and he's, he's standing on top of the machine, giving the thumbs up and yelling and whatnot. And no one, no one cared. Yeah. If you've seen King of Kong, that's, we've seen kill screens. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But the first year they did the the burlesque and it was it was it was good. They dimmed the lights and uh, and it was an interesting show. The second year we found out I didn't I didn't see it, but talking to Lily we found out that it, they didn't turn the lights off. 
So it was just very awkward. And this year was the same thing. It was just a brightly lit auditorium with girls coming out and stripping or taking their clothes off. And it just it was incredibly awkward. Because you can see in the audience if people don't like it and look at you. Yeah, well, that's what Lily said. She, she goes, you know, normally you come out and you do your show and you get, you know, you kind of shut off everything else and you just do your thing. Well, now you come out and it's bright out there and you're doing your thing and one guy goes and checks his phone and you're like, oh, God, I suck. And then everything just unravels. Yeah. So you could you could see these, these, these girls trying real hard not to pay attention to what people were doing. And probably the best, the best burlesque performance was a dude dressed as um, um, Deadpool, and he he did a re- it was re- it was hilarious his whole his whole shtick. That was probably the best one of the of all of them. No kidding. Yeah. Oh well, I wonder when they're going to bring burlesque to the VCF and ECCC. Uh, yeah, that's... probably never. I think it's kind of an interesting combination, you know, mm. vintage game festival and or a video game conference or festival. And here's some chicks taking off their clothes yeah. because, hey, why not? Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the first year they had some interesting. They had like uh, one girl was was dressed in a Kirby suit, like, you know, the big bubble. Yeah. She came out and did the whole <laughs> thing, you know, and it's like, OK, that's woman yes a woman i'm sorry one woman came out dressed in a kirby suit and that was that was different are uh, you being tone policed that? are you being tone policed yes oh okay. <laughs> hi i'm a random guy from the internet i'm giving aj absolute permission to uh <laughs> that's whatever language he chooses <laughs> I'm living alone. Nobody cares. Yeah. That's a good Trust thing me, here. I'm from the internet. <laughs> I'm here to help you. <sighs> yeah, so it was. Yeah. It was different, and and it was, it was fun. I I you know it's it seems to me, and I don't want to be too negative about it, but it, it seems like every year that's gone on, it's gotten a little bit, eh, or. Yeah, as in, well, I'll just, yeah, what does yeah. nah mean? It's just, just boring? It's, yeah, yeah, it's not, the, the first year it was packed and it was really interesting and there was a lot of cool stuff and it, I guess it was new. And now every year since then, last year it was, there weren't too many people there and there wasn't very much. And again, I was there on the second day, so I thought maybe, you know, I'm just seeing, you know, them getting ready to leave basically. But this day, right. it was there first thing in the morning, and we were there all day, and it just never, there weren't that many people. I mean, there was a fair amount, but nothing compared to the first year. Well, right. the, way, the way I learned about a video game con is actually that Richie Knuckles promoted it mm-hmm. together with um, Billy Mitchell. Yeah, well, that was the big draw so, the first year, Billy yeah. Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was really like they they were promoting it live, you uh-huh. know, like and now Billy Mitchell is actually contributing to the Kickstarter, you know. Yeah. And AJ was like, This can't be so cheap. Yeah. You know, the entrance ticket is like well it says so on the page. Like 
this can't be. It was. Yeah. Well, yeah. How much was it? Um, the first year it was like, like fifteen dollars or something. Because okay. I, I pledged on the Kickstarter, and they're like, "Okay, you get a ticket," and and I was like, well, "That can't, that can't be right. That's that's way too cheap." Mm-hmm. And no, that was that was right. And then after that, it was like, um, after that, the prices went up, and it was you know, the last year it was fifty, I think, and this year again it was fifty. Right. So. ECC VCF is free, um, and you get much more than you what you pay for. Yeah. Uh, you know, vendors. You know, one one interesting year after year after year, there's always some little girl there selling cookies, brownies, Rice Krispie bars every year. And this person never seems to age. I don't know if they're just wheeling in new little girls or what, but <laughs> brownies, cookies, Rice Krispie bars. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen those those toys that came out a couple years ago where you can make little pixel characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have a vendor there who's who creates those, and they create some pretty elaborate things. Um, you can buy those. My kid bought a uh, companion cube a few years ago, if you remember that from yeah. the game Portal. Yep. Um, yeah. It's... <sighs> One of the things that I noticed about the vendors there, and not to disparage them at all, but they bring in junk, um, and they <laughs> often last for premium prices. Uh, yeah, you can get this Apple IIc. It's missing four four keys on the keyboard, and the disk drive is kind of flaky. But I'm going to ask for three hundred bucks, and it's yeah. like, yeah, no. It's if you're if I'm paying three hundred bucks for a machine, it's got to be pretty freaking minty. Yeah. Um, but it's that whole, you know, it's old, therefore it's treasure kind of thing. The Apple II was an incredibly popular computer here in the states. You know, almost every elementary school, junior high, and high school had them in the had them in their computer labs, yeah. and they're not hard to come by. But I, people wheel in their treasure, and it makes me wonder. Whenever I go there and sell my stuff, I sold an Amiga two thousand for I think I asked one fifty for it. And people gladly paid that. Um, I was giving I was giving the price of 125 for those SX64s that I had. Um, I had cleaned them and repaired them. 125. I got them for 50 bucks a piece. I really can't yeah. um, justify jacking up the prices, especially when I'm selling it to someone who really wants it and will really take care of it. But um, some of the vendors who show up there, are like, hey, I raided a barn. And this is what I have. This Apple II GS doesn't have a case on it, but I think it might work. I haven't tested it. And, yeah, this <laughs> mouse doesn't have the ball in it anymore. But, hey, it'll work with an Atari ST. So I'm going to ask $20. Mm-hmm. So it's it's challenging. I, I always go there with the intention of buying something kind of cool. And I always leave there, you know, with, with fewer of my things and none of anybody else's. Yeah. I see that on eBay yeah. a lot too. You you go on there and and here's a C64 and it's going for four hundred dollars and it's like yeah. there's there's millions of them, you know. <laughs> there's, Literally. Yeah, it's not. This isn't a rare item. This isn't something that that you can't find any place. You know, this is there's millions of them and they don't. They're not worth four hundred dollars. It's got to be something special if I'm going to drop that kind of money on it. And to be honest with you, if I paid $400 for anything and brought it home, um, my wife would be parading down the street with my head on a pike. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's not. Yeah. Well, not that, there was uh, a, a, a C65 just recently sold on, on eBay. 
and it doesn't have um, it doesn't have the Vic three chip, so it's a brick essentially. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I saw it. Yeah, eighteen thousand dollars. If I'm dropping that kind of money on something, I should be able to drive it. Right, exactly. Can I put a signal on this thing, and it doesn't. It doesn't have the Vic chip, and the thing is, it's it's a Vic three, so they didn't make. There's not a lot of them. You can't just go and get another one. You know, it's like there's right. there's fewer Vic threes than there are C sixty fives, and there aren't many C sixty fives. Right. Yeah. So what this guy's selling it? What just to have as a conversation piece, I, just so I, people can say, well, I mean, "Hey, I have." A- someone bought it. I mean, that was the that was the price that someone bought it for. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was a it was an auction. He started it off at I don't know. It was like. He started off at ten grand, and it went up. And eighteen, no kidding, eighteen something was where it ended up. Mm. It's yeah, it's a it's a it's a collector's item, sure, but it doesn't work. You can't. There's no software for it, and there's no video chip for it, so it's right. useless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose if he's a hardware guy, you might be able to figure out a way to Maybe. have it spit Maybe. out an image somehow. <laughs> Okay. Oh, oh God. Yeah, I got those too. <laughs> the worst joysticks ever made. Oh, I know. Worth every penny. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's in really good shape too. But yeah, you're right. It's terrible. I mean, button up here. Yeah. Eh. Triangle. Yeah, triangle. It's like what I missed out on while I was. It's just like James Plant singing triangle on the Sesame Street. While he's playing with that joystick. Yeah. Yeah, I've been getting a lot of random bits and pieces, and it's just they're not—they're not living up to the hype that I hoped they would. You know, like, you know like what this thing. I got—I got this thing right, and I'm I like, got hey, this will be awesome because I can use my my RAM expansion and the the fast loader. Well, first off, no, you can't, and second off, you can't see the screen because you got this giant RAM expansion sticking straight up in front of it. I know, I got the same problem. Anyway, you know what pisses me off the most? Mm -hmm. Is that many, many retro experts or fans are complaining that the C64 Mini is emulation. No, it's not. No, it's not. (laughs) Every time I see somebody on my wall complaining that the C64 Mini is emulation. No, it's not. No, it's not. So I'm obviously replying, no, it's not. Here's our interview with the guy from a year ago. Listen to it. Yeah, it's it's got shortcomings. That's not one of them. I think a lot of people are just getting tired of feeling burned. Um, you may remember that essentially it was a Commodore 64 shaped PC that came out a couple uh, years ago. Yeah, Web. No, no, no. The it was the not, web. not the Webit. No, the Webit was its own okay. travesty. <laughs> you, you mean from Commodore International of the guy who unfortunately died? Yes. But yeah. expensive C sixty four PC. Yeah. Case. Yeah. 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 I had people coming out of the woodwork saying, "Hey, there's a new Commodore coming out." I'm like, "It's just a PC in a in a Commodore case. It's not quite." And an emulator. I don't even know if it had an emulator on it. It's just it's just a PC in a Commodore case. It no, it's had an emulator. With, yeah. yeah. Mm. I think yep. it had a Linux distro and uh and yep. Vice. Mm. Yep. 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 
Yeah, there's lots of... Um, anyway, the C64 Mini is not one of them. It's made by Darren Mailburn, who also was the guy behind the DTV, so... Really? That's fantastic. Yep. Yeah, it, it's I wish I still had my DTV. It's an interesting project. I mean, it's it has some limitations in that you can't... It, it doesn't really have expansion. You know, you can't plug in a disk drive. You can't plug in a modem or anything like that. You know? But that is why they also will bring in the 664 Plus. Right, that but I still have... don't think that's going to have those ports. It doesn't have a user port. No user port. I don't think it's got a, a drive port either, a serial port. The, the D64s, you could modify them so you could act, you know, get disk drives and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Connected yeah. to it, I wonder. Yeah, if but Jerry is not the one of yeah. the C64. Yeah, Jerry's. No, this is all FPGA. Jerry's not involved in this one at all. Okay. Yep. Um, but I mean, it's got an expansion port, and it's got. I mean, I don't know if the full-size one's going to have joystick ports or if it's just going to be USB like this one is. <laughs> Let's have a look. But I, it's 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 cool, but it has limitations to what it can do. Which right. You know, that's that's. This, it, I keep saying that this one's more for like, uh, for um, for soft nostalgia. It's it's people that that want to relive their their childhood and play their games without actually having to get into like the guts of it. Right. Blowing out the mold or whatever. Right. Buying exactly. something secondhand that may may or may not work. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they just want to plug it in. Oh, here's some games. I'll play some games, and now I can turn it off and put it away. Right. Right. I think one of the great things about. Uh, what I what I do with my old hardware is I get to share with my kids. My middle son is really into the older hardware and he likes playing the older stuff. So I'm very thankful for that that he's kind of taken an interest in a lot of the stuff that I'm really interested in as well. Yeah, still trying to get the girl interested in it. <laughs> she, she traded she traded desks with me because her, hers was bigger and so it would hold. hold okay, stuff. so so the page <laughs> saying is. The the page is saying the plus full sized full, fully version working version is also coming in 2018 as well. Yes. yes. So don't know what full sized fully version means. It's, the keyboard will work. You don't have to plug in a USB keyboard like with the small one. Um, it's going to have a cartridge port, you know, expansion. But I think that's about it. That's they they haven't really released too many other specs, but from what I gather, there's not going to be a serial port or a user port, and and that's the thing, you know, I I would, it's capable of doing everything else. You can drop to basic and program. You can I I think you can use the USB connections to put in some kind of mass storage, you know, a USB stick or something. So you can do some things with it, and that's what I'd be interested in is to use it to do things, you know, to to. To go onto a, uh, you know, to the telnet boards or something, you know, right. or or hook up a disk drive and be able to play an old game if I felt like it. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a worthwhile thing. Just, you know, I, just for the gadget factor alone, just to yeah. see how this thing works. That's the, re the only reason I bought the DTVs. I read so much about it. And I just wanted to see how that thing worked and what I could do with it. Um, sadly, I had the American version, so the limitations had some severe limitations to it, but I still was able to do some interesting things with the hardware. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, what's the, what are they ask? What's the asking price for this product? 
what are they asking for? Oh well, I can tell you. I've I've pre-ordered like, on Amazon. I think it's like 150 bucks, 120 somewhere like that. Okay. You mean the, for the plus version? Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not horrifically expensive. It's it's within range of what they're asking for the 64 Reloaded and for um, Gideon's um, 64 Ultimate. Okay. So the Z64 Mini is selling in Germany by Koch Media for 79.99 euros. Euros. Okay. Yeah. That's that, and that's the Mini. That's the small one with the keyboard that doesn't yep, work. Yep. 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 I pre-ordered it. Yeah. What are they expecting to ship? I'm so, starting to sound like an ad, aren't I? Um, April Force. The minis April's are supposed Force. to be in. From what I gather, the minis are supposed to be in stores by Christmas. Like okay. Walmart, no, no, Walmart April Fourth. April Fourth. April Fourth. For the minis. April Fourth. For the minis. For the mini. April the fourth. Okay. Okay. Yep. That's the official release date according oh. to Amazon. Okay. At least in Germany, I don't know how it is in. I, America. Yeah, I had I had heard or read or something that they were supposed they were expecting to be in in stores like Target and Walmart uh, by by Christmas time, but I don't remember where I read that. Well, why should Germany take four months for that? I don't know. Probably because the customs. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a European product. It's from UK, so I doubt that will be the reason. Well, they'll, they'll toss out Brexit on you and say, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, the UK isn't part of England, isn't part of Europe anymore. So. <laughs> it still is. It still is. So the Z64 Mini is coming out in 2018 with over 60 games. Yes, 64 games. So it's even coming out. Yeah. So, yep, yep, yep. Okay. Yeah, I'm seeing a retail price here of 95 bucks. Oh, that's not bad. For the Mini or and the full the, size? Um, Just the Mini. Oh, Okay. That's, that's There's also a, a full-size version. This is from Engadget. Hmm. So, yeah. Interesting. A couple USB ports on the side. Or on it's, it's interestingly is we seem to be the only people that actually interviewed him. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. Huh. Well, considering how much press it's getting, I'm kind of surprised. Well, it's getting press now because they teamed up with, with Koch Media. And and they're suddenly getting ready to go, but I mean, we talked to them like a year ago, over a year ago. Mm-hmm. Yep. And apparently nobody in the in the universe listened to that because no one seems to understand what it is. Because every every post on Facebook, oh, it's just an emulator. It's like no. Yeah, I think people are just getting a little cynical after you know yeah. so many promises made by companies that bought the Commodore name mm-hmm. and, have, and have released things under the Commodore brand. Yeah, um, there's been a lot of trash. I mean, I watched your Commodore your phone. phone review. Yeah, I watched your phone review, and I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, this thing. It, it's it's even back when you know Tulip on the Amiga line and Amiga Inc started back up, and they made all sorts of promises, and they were cracking down on people who are yeah. using their IP and everything else. Um, 
just a lot of empty promises and, and stuff that never really came to be or wasn't delivered as promised. And I think that's kind of carrying over. And I think that's the problem that this developer might be having as well. Yeah. Just 20, 25 years of promises that never come to be. But the DT so was a good exception. Yeah. It was. It was. Well, there's also things like right now there's the um, the ZX Spectrum Vega or the Vega Plus or whatever it's called, which is another similar kind of thing. They were going to redo the, the the ZX Spectrum, and it's just been an absolute debacle. You know, the people put in a ton of money, and it's all been spent on like lavish dinners. Nothing has been produced, and it's just like been, Kickstarter money. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just been a it's it's been a, a, a complete and total travesty, and they were supposed to have shipped in September, and there's they have nothing. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to not become a little cynical when somebody announces a new product under a brand that I mean, the three of us, twenty five, twenty years later after the hobby is you know, uh -huh. past its nadir or past its apex, yeah. um, still really enjoy not not only the products but the company mm -hmm. and after years and years and years of all these promises that never came to be by people who own the uh, intellectual property or the trademark or whatever it, it's hard not to become a little cynical about it yeah so who knows i really like this to be a successful product just to maybe give it a shot in the arm you know yeah, right. um generate some more interest and maybe Something new will come down the pike, you know. Maybe a maybe an Amiga line, something like this, a mini Amiga. Well, the Mini Mig, maybe. Yeah, well, I... But uh, something that's shaped like a A six hundred or a Fit five hundred or even a A one. Wasn't it already announced? No. Was it? I think it was. Well, I mean, there's a there's a there is a an emulated the the what's it called uh, the Mist. It's a little little computer. It's got different cores you can put in. Amiga is one of them. Right. Yeah, the, the FPGA style yeah. stuff that's been out there that you can you know make it a an Atari ST or make right. it an Amiga. Yeah. Yeah. So. So when the internals of this, uh -huh. the Mini Commodore, what exactly is in it? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> well, listen to the podcast. I don't remember. Well, no, I okay. mean they just they didn't go into specifics. It's just all FPGA and they're they're recreating the C64 on a on a hardware level kind of, but you know. Okay. It's it's not emulation basically. It's not like it's running right. on an ARM processor or anything. It's, right. Okay. But they didn't get it. Well, I don't think I don't think at the time that they even knew really what the specifics were going to be because this was still yeah, this was like early 2016, so they were really getting May 2016, I yeah. think it was. Right. Just just copied in the link. Of course, Skype doesn't recognize it because it's seen.world. But if I put HTTP in front of it, now it works. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, uh... That means we also already got our intro. <laughs> Thanks to that. So let me see, when was that? It was in uh, May 28th. Yeah, yeah, so it's, yeah. it was pretty early on in the project. Mm. Okay. Still an exclusive. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't think, I haven't heard them talk to anybody else about it, but it's... Uh, oh. And no well, I think it's great to... for retail stores. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I, 
yeah, I, I definitely think it's it's a worthwhile thing just to just to have it out there and you know again generate interest in this sort of thing again. Mm-hmm. Because Jens Schönfeld is not going to hit the stores with his no. C64 Mark uh, Reloaded Mark II. No. No. And that's not yeah. that's not a viable thing to sell anyway because there's not enough old chips. I mean, even the FPGA version, you don't have enough, you know, cases and 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 keyboards and all this stuff to build machines to sell. Right. Ones that are in good shape anyway. You're right. talking using new or older cases right. and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. That is why the Mega 65 project is generating new cases, yeah. own cases, and own keyboards. Right. Yeah. Well, they're they're lagging behind too. Mega 65, but they weren't really they weren't necessarily trying to get anything to market. They were just trying to get this stuff documented. And if they happen okay. to make something come to market, if they happen to make a, a C65, then awesome. But if not, then at least we got this stuff on paper. Right. Well, I mean, they are still trying to release it, so. So it's not like it's not going to happen. Yeah. They just are f- uh, thrown by uh, delays. Yeah, they have no money and they don't have any time to do it. So it's just kind of, I mean, whenever. Yeah, I totally understand the time part. Again, though, you know, it, it would be a cool machine to see and to have and to play with, but there's mm-hmm. zero software written for the C65. So, so marketability-wise, no one's going to buy it because what can you do with it? It's, right. You can use C64 software, but I can get a C64 for, you know, a fraction of the price. You think it would spur any kind of development for the C65? I doubt it. Yeah, I'm there's maybe one or two it. people would make some demos or something, but right. you know, the the days of of trying to figure out, you know, let's make specialized software for this, it, it, it's gone because everyone's got a, a laptop or you know a PC or something that they can. Well, it has a C65 on it. Yeah, but... That is why it's called Mega 65. Right, but I'm saying there's no software for the C65. Well, there is one demo, I believe. Well, that's not going to compel me to buy a computer. (laughs) When I can just look it up on YouTube. Yeah, there there is a demo called... Z65 in action, demo by set Wago. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is, is that machine documented very well? No. I mean, no, opcodes? It is, it is, it is actually, yeah. Is it? Well, okay. that that's part of what Mega65 is doing, is trying to kind of retro-engineer and document what they how they built the thing. Because from yep. what I gather, now that we've talked to some people, um, and, and I've seen some interviews, it was like the, the company knew it was going down, and they just, the C65 was just to keep some people busy. Here, 8 bit guys, play with this. It was never meant to come to market. It was just. Really? Yeah, it was busy work. Okay. <laughs> Got to justify their paycheck somehow, yeah, huh? Yeah, essentially. They made this, it was a really cool machine, but it was never, never intended to be released, which is a shame. But, but, so I don't know that they really kept that that good documentation with it because it was just kind of eh, do what you're doing right right three and a half inch floppy yeah, yeah. bring it into the bring it into the 90s yeah 
Advanced graphics, more than 16 colors. Yeah, bring it into the 90s. Right. But what is it going to compete with, right? I mean, it's going to compete gonna... with Intel, with, with the Amiga. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, it even kind of, it looks like an Amiga, kind of. Yeah, a little bit. I always wondered how usable it would be with that floppy drive sitting on the side like that, elevated, you know? Yeah. Would you run your wrist off, rubbing into that, rubbing into that drive yeah. all the time? Typing? Yeah, probably. Yeah. A, they made some weird machines, Commodore. Yeah. <laughs> there were some weird design choices. Yeah. Well, case in yeah, point. Exactly. Right. Yeah. 